Now for the old fat guy, right? <laughs> Always hard to follow beautiful little children. Tonight is the musical at six o'clock. Very good. We're looking at four things in December here about the birth of Jesus Christ. Number one, we saw last time, the place of his birth. There is a message in understanding the place of his birth. We looked at that. Today, the peculiarity of his birth. God willing, next time, the purpose of his birth. And finally, on December 25th, the proclamation of his birth. So let's look at the peculiarity of his birth today. We go all the way back uh, to the book of Genesis. Three and verse 15. This is after the fall of man, immediately after the sin of man. God, in a greater context, is declaring judgment on sin. But before he ever declares judgment on the human race, the man and the woman, he addresses the first judgment to the serpent and promises a savior before he ever issues judgment and the curse. Here it is. And I will set hostility, hatred. That's in the perfect tense in the Hebrew word, word over there. It means it just goes on and on. Hatred, enmity, hostility between you, singular, it's the serpent, and between the woman, and between your seed, and between her seed. Stop right there. The woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. But interestingly, the Holy Spirit of God declares that somehow, at some particular time, by prophecy and by in, in the purpose of and by the power of God, the woman will possess seed apart from the man because the judgment is with regard to her seed. It's a possessive. She, she can't possess it. Like a man, that's not, that's not how it works. So there's a promise here at the earliest part, at the, at the fall of man, immediately, by grace, God promises a redeemer who will come forth from the woman apart from the man. And that there will be essentially two seeds to develop two lineages, two, two genealogies 
two factions spiritually in the world after the fall of man. It's always been that way. As God Almighty looks upon the human race, we are either redeemed or unredeemed. Of the elect or we are not of the elect. Reprobate. Either light or darkness. Either saved or lost. And what happens in the world resulting that is hostility. Hostility that God has said by this judgment will continue. But there is a climax to the whole thing. He the seed of woman that develops now becomes singular. The focus is on this person. This he. He will crush your head and you will bite his heel. So as long as we exist in the present state of affairs, as long as we struggle in the fallen state of Adam, there is hostility between those who are of the seed of the woman and those who are the seed of the seed of the serpent. The rest of the story of God's people is given from that point forward after the fall of man. And if you are a student of the Bible, you understand that God has written this struggle that exists all the way through even to the time of the consummation, which hasn't even come yet. The time of the end of the age. That struggle just keeps going on and on and it, is, it gets terrible. It, it gets horrible. And the people of God are constantly chased and hounded and murdered and killed and slandered by the seed of the serpent. It's a rather simple equation that started back in Genesis 1, if you remember, how God separated light from darkness, saw the light, the light was good. We have the story of the angels, and in that story, certain of the angels rebelled, and they are fallen angels, and then there are the elect angels, and so there's hostility that exists between those who are of God and those who are not of God. Now the solution to the problem of sin is the seed of woman, masculine singular, which is a man. Somewhere, somehow, some way, someday, a man will be born from the woman apart from the seed of man. A miraculous Virgin birth. 
Therefore, a thoughtful student of the, of the precious holy word of God will begin to focus on that individual. His identity and clues to who he is continues to grow and increase all the way through the scripture. So many things said about him and as the word of God comes in a time that is appropriate for those who are living in that time, God gives them another prophecy, another promise with regard to this man known here so early as the seed of woman. Virgin birth. Now there's a reason for it. And I have to say, this part of the message can't really be completed until next time when we study the purpose of his birth. But the purpose doesn't give us the complete story. It's kind of meaningless unless we understand the peculiarity of his birth. There were two humans in the world and they both fell in sin. God's perfect world. Wonderful paradise. The tree of life. And the promise to live forever was rejected. When God came then and examined the situation. He looked at the woman and only God could know the deaths, the wars, the horrors of sin, the adulteries, the incests, the sexual perversions, cancer, heart trouble, kidney disease, getting old and weak and dying. Only God at that moment could understand because God had made the promise in the day that you eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from God. So what does God do? This is the whole human race at that point collapsed in the darkness of sin. They had no hope. They had no promise that there was an escape from the guarantee of death. Nothing was there for them. As a matter of fact, God would kick them out of their home. The beautiful paradise that was theirs would no longer be theirs. The tree of life, just to take a bite of its fruit and I'd live forever. Now, cherubim with flaming swords are put as guards, sentinels, to guard the way, to keep the way to the tree of life, the Bible says. He's not going to 
destroy the way to the tree of life. There is a way to the tree of life, and it is guarded. It is protected. It's an interesting study sometime to study the few places where the cherubim are mentioned in the Bible and go back to the first time they're seen. Well, anyway, God has a way to the tree of life. If you can imagine the man and the woman, they tried to cover their shame themselves by knitting together some fig leaves. They knew then they were naked, ashamed and afraid, and they found some fig leaves to clothe themselves. Well, that's not going to work. God took coats of skins and clothed the man and the woman. If you skin something, it will die. I, be I believe it was a lamb. Maybe one for each of them. But the picture is simply this. Having been cast out of the Garden of Eden... For them to stop and turn and take one more look at the way to the tree of life between where it was and where they were slain animals, a sacrifice. Something has to die if we are to be covered with the righteousness of God and if we are ever able to make our way to the tree of life. This was their promise. When he said, what have you done? Oh, the battlefields, the mangled humanity, hospitals, nursing homes, funeral homes, Cemeteries and graveyards. Back in the 80s, I had a guy who worked for a big paving company. They, back in those days, were probably the biggest paving company. They would do the interstates and the state highways. And I was always talking to him how I had admired the great work that they do, how they just Make it level and make it so the rain will go off of it. I, he said, preacher, you know what the hardest thing is for us to do when we plan a route? When we're planning to make a road, build He said, the hardest thing is, and you'd think it'd be water and bridges. And He said, the hardest thing are the cemeteries. You don't realize how many graveyards and cemeteries there are in this world. And when we begin to build a new road, we have to go in and walk that place off. And then we have to make our arrangements so that we can make our way around all of those graveyards and those cemeteries. Only God could have seen the sadness of sin. Woman, what have you done? 
But before he ever told the man he would have to work by the sweat of his brow, before he ever told the woman that she would travail in childbirth, he said, I'm going to send you a savior. He will come forth from the womb of a woman apart from the seed of man. And he will stomp the spiritual life out of the serpent by crushing his head with his heel. But in the process, the serpent will bite his heel. And the seed of the woman will finally be victorious over the seed of the serpent. This spiritual struggle is what is given in the rest of scriptures from this point on. Warfare, strife, prophets raised to make proclamations, God divinely intervening to save the seed of the woman. For the whole history of mankind. And it won't stop. The Bible teaches us. It won't stop. Until the end of the book. When the seed of woman. He. When the he. Will come in power. And great glory. This is how the story of redemption begins. Proto-evangelium is what they call it in the Latin. It is the first account of the gospel. Genesis 3 and verse 15. The peculiarity of his birth. I have read this past week, but not just this week, in times past, when I've thought about, reflected upon, studied, and even preached regarding the virgin birth of Christ. Not only theological journals, but scientific journals as well. And however people may think, they can reproduce in a scientific lab a, a human being. Whatever cellular procedure is used comes from a cell that had a father and a mother. You can't invent or create in a lab the virgin birth. They've tried. Can't do it. You can take all of the labs in the world and put all of the budget from every economy in the world into these, into these studies and efforts and they will never, ever reproduce the virgin birth as we're taught in the scriptures. It's peculiar to Jesus and it has a purpose. We'll talk about that next time, God willing. The virgin birth. It has to do with the first account of the gospel. It has to do with the destruction 
of the seed of the serpent with, with that strain of humanity in every generation that seeks to destroy the word of God, the thought of God, the Christ of God, the people of God, the gospel of Christ. It's their job. They have to write it. They, they have to do everything they can do. This is their job. They are the seed of the serpent. It is their job to try to bring darkness into the world so that nobody will ever hear, so that nobody will ever believe, so that there will never be a gospel. Oh, kill the Christians and destroy that Bible. It, it won't ever happen. The victory has already been written. To be finalized in the glorious second coming. And nothing is going to stop that. Not a thing. Not all of the efforts in the world. There won't be a greater effort in the world than the effort of the time of the tribulation when the beast and his false prophet will try to stop the word of God and destroy the people of God so that they can establish the seed of the serpent forever. It won't happen. It can't happen. God has declared against it. If you are a Christian, if you are a devoted Christian, born again in your heart, you will suffer in this world. You will suffer through what the world tries to do to you or to the things that you love and hold dear. You will suffer in this world. That's the hostility of the world against the seed of the woman. Enmity, hatred. It won't ever leave until finally the Christ of God comes in power and glory and then a new heaven and a new earth are established. Well, the next passage is in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore, Adonai, he of himself, very clear, Greek, uh, Hebrew word, he of himself shall give you a sign. Now, let me stop here. In the greater context, Ahaz, the, the southern kingdom, has on its throne in Jerusalem the son of David. There is a covenant that God has made, the Davidic covenant. Finally, that throne of David will be declared to be and established as the eternal throne of the son of David. Son of David. And all of these genealogies and the protection of the son of David is in place until finally the son of David is born. Now those who are, might be in this world descended from David in Judah, from Judah and David, it doesn't matter anymore because the serpent killer has been born 
He accomplished what the son of David was to do, dying on the cross. But here, Ahaz, the, the southern king, the king, the son of David, it's obvious when you study this history of these sons of David and Jew, they are at least keenly aware of this one thing. They carry a covenant. And they are keenly aware of how they have a responsibility to protect that covenant. Son of David on the throne. It's not any different with as the, the king in the southern kingdom. Well, Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel have become allies. And their mission is to destroy Judah in general and the seed of David in particular. That's their job. I has the, the, the king in the southern kingdom, he's scared. He's afraid they're going to come down and destroy the seed of David. Kill out the king and all his household and anybody connected to it. And so the prophecy is brought forth to this king. Don't worry about that. The, the power to keep the promise, the covenant of David, isn't in your hands. It's in the hands of God. And I'll give you a sign so that all will know that the covenant of David has been kept. And here it is. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant. She shall bear a son. And she shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. So the prophet, the prophecy from God is this. You don't have to worry about the destruction of the son of David sitting on the throne. You don't have to worry about the destruction of the covenant that I've made with David regarding the sons of David. Because the time will come when a virgin will conceive. And everyone will know that I have kept this covenant. Because this one shall be born of a virgin. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Matthew, as a matter of fact, attributes the virgin birth and his gospel to this prophecy. It's very clear. This is the great sign of the eternal reign of the son of David. A son of David, the son of David, will be born having been born of a virgin. The peculiarity of his birth. Now, a long passage here, beginning in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, to, was sent by God to a city of Galilee, whose name was Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The name of the virgin was Mary. And having come to her, he said, Greetings, you f one who is freely bestowed with grace, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. She was troubled. She was disturbed at the statement. She was pondering. This is a young girl, early teens. 
She was pondering, what kind of salutation is this? The angel said to her, fear not, Mary, for you have found grace with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and he will bring forth a, and you will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Ashwa, Ahashwa. In the Hebrew, Joshua, Jesus, Jesus. This is the declaration from heaven. You will call his name Yahweh saves. Yahweh is savior. That's what it means. The great God. You will call his name Yahweh saves. God savior is right here with us. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob to the ages and there will be no end to his kingdom. Here is the sign promised in Isaiah. This is the son of David, not just the son of David, but son of the most high. And he is the one who will reign forever over the kingdom of God. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I know no man? And answering the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will supervene. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now listen, if you go to the, if you go to the Septuagint, if you go to the Greek, if you go to the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, the first translation out of Hebrew from the Old Testament is the, is the Greek translation, it's the Septuagint. Now, this word in the Greek here is found there also to describe Moses, uh, in the pen of Moses, how Yahweh descends and overshadows the place at the tabernacle, overshadows with his presence. And that overshadowing brings, it brings power and protection for his people. It's interesting. Same word is used, I think it's the 90th Psalm, talking about the overshadowing of Yahweh. So, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, overshadow, overpower, come over you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One being born will be called the Son of God. Holy One. In other words, this one to be born is without sin. He is beyond and outside the nature of sin. Beyond and outside the nature of Adam. That's important for what we're going to look at next time. Sinless, without sin, without the nature of sin. Because, he's, because his birth is so peculiar. Ugh, restraining myself from giving you next week's sermon. It hurts. Be born and call the Son of God, the Holy One. He'll be without sin. He'll be without sin nature. Because the Holy Spirit, there's no man involved for by one man sin entered the world, death by sin, so that death has passed upon all, for all have sinned. That's the sin nature that comes from Adam. Well, okay, more about that next time.
will be called the Son of God. Behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month to her who had been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. May it happen to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She had accepted her place of service. She had accepted the reality of the supernatural conception. The one from her womb who would be called the Savior of his people. You call his name, Matthew says, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The angel departed her. Now we go to Hebrews. And this is a segue to what we're going to look at, God willing, next time. Since therefore also the children have partaken. You see that first Greek word I have underlined up there? Kokonokin. That means to fully partake. Don't leave a thing out. You give me a piece of key lime pie, I will not leave anything out. So this is full and complete partaking. The children in the greater context, of course, Israel and, and mankind, the human race, have fully partaken of blood and of flesh. I have a father, I have a mother. When I was born, it is inescapable that in my birth, I also carried upon me the nature of sin. I have fully participated in blood and flesh. And I need a savior. I have a sin nature. I don't have a nature that's beyond sin, outside the realm of sin. I don't have that because I have both a father and a mother. But look what he says about Jesus. He also, or likewise, different Greek word, Bateskin, took part of those same things. In other words, Bateskin, to take part, but not all. Now, up there, I took all of it. Jesus took part of it, but not all of it. How? Because he was born of a virgin. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding then the power of death. That is the devil. Now that's the crushing of the head. The virgin born one, the seed of woman, he took part but not all. He is Man and he is God. The divine nature of Jesus of Nazareth 
can never be explained apart from the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Being born of the virgin, being born outside of the nature of Adam, outside of the nature of sin, the sin nature, taking part but not all, he becomes both, both fully God and fully man because God overshadowed the virgin and the virgin became with child and not with the seed of man but with the miraculous seed that came upon the woman by the Holy Spirit. The miraculous immaculate conception of Jesus Christ our Savior. And then this is how you can explain his sinless life. The Lamb of God separated completely from sin completely and absolutely qualified, being the only one in all of humanity so uniquely qualified to die in my stead. So then, Jesus Christ, born of the virgin, is both man and God, and he's the only one who has such a divine nature, the God-man. Thus, he lived a sinless life. He never sinned. He never sinned because the nature wasn't in him to sin. He couldn't sin because the nature wasn't there to be drawn to sin. Until because of his divine birth and because of his divine life he would then suffer a divine death to take upon himself my sin are you in Christ he took upon himself your sin he who knew no sin was made to be sin Paul wrote that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And because of his divine birth and his divine life and his divine death, he would now reign forever victoriously over death and over the grave and over hell and over the devil by divine resurrection. You cannot explain his life, his death, and his resurrection apart from his virgin birth. That is why it's, it's a divinely given story. It's a divinely given account. Nobody could make this up. This is the divine purpose and plan of God. The place of his birth had a significant reason. The peculiarity of his birth had a specific reason. Next time, God willing, the purpose of his birth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. He calls out his own. All that the father gives me will come to me, he said. Perhaps today you would come to Christ 
experiencing the divine call of God. In just a moment, we'll stand and be dismissed in prayer. If you would come to Christ today, we have deacons and their wives just across the hall as you exit, waiting in the doors to pray with you and to be with you in this wonderful, wonderful time of salvation in your life. Maybe you're here, God leads you into the membership of this church. They're there to pray with you and to take care of all the details if that's what God wants in your life. Prayerfully, let's stand together all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.